KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. First off, thank you all, everybody who showed some love, everybody who was able to support, everybody who wanted to support but couldn't. But man, I'm just going to tell y'all like it is. We had a great radiothon. It's so nice. I, what does Laura always say? It was like 80, 85%, 85% listener supported. So I'm going to thank all 85% of y'all. We appreciate everything you do. Tonight on the show, it's Roundtable Tuesdays. We have Nature Swagger, the new book from Room Map, founder of Outdoor Afro. That's a national not-for-profit organization that has become the nation's leading, that's right, I said it, the nation's leading cutting-edge network in celebrating and inspiring black connections and leadership in nature. And they are few. There are a few outdoor Afro networks here in Utah addressing the ongoing need for greater diversity in the outdoors. We're gonna also meet the cast, the entire cast and company behind To Saints and Stars on the boards at Good Company Theater November 3rd, November 3rd to the 20th in Ogden. That's right, O-Town. Y'all know how I feel about Ogden, you heard it. But first, let's do rallies and resources with our own Laura Jones. What's up, Laura? Doing well. How you doing, lady? I have a couple of stats I wanted to share from Radiothon. You ready for this? I'm ready. So, total raised just shy of $200,000 from 1,258 donors. Dang. And of that number, 224 new donors. See, that's what I'm talking about. Long time. Good, you know, with Tree Utah and the Bicycle Collective. So, 47 folks chose to help get bikes into kids' hands. I don't want to say that was all me, Laura, but I was pushing <laughs> it hard. I'm just going to throw that out there, y'all. And 77 trees with Tree Utah. I saw Amy May today, and uh, she's going to come on the show Friday to talk about the tree nice. planning date. Where well, you can come and help, folks. You know, if you did do the gift for good with Tree Utah, you don't have to come and plant the tree. Amy puts together all the volunteers with Tree Utah. A bunch of us from KRCL go too, but you're more than welcome to go, and you can stay tuned for more details. Uh, 560 t-shirts. Dang. And of that, the number one t-shirt was the the uh, new one. Was it the new one? I knew it was a new one. 164 folks. Let's go. So much so that we had to put in another order. So I think. There's still some available if you missed out at krcl.org. And just want to say thank you. We've got this list of the donors, like that number I told you. So let's see. Hey, Joe W. That's all I got right here is Joe W. Thank you, Joe. Yola Lalinska. I remember Yola. She also volunteered. And uh, let's see. Leanne Dondrea. Thank you so much. And all the volunteers and the folks who brought food to keep us fed. And uh, everybody who did their part, because Radiothon and Carousel, they don't go without the public. No, no, it does not. All right, so we have such a big show. Yeah, we do. That's yeah, it for we rallies do. and resources, because we have uh, the founders of Good Company Theater in the studio. We've got the We're director, not messing around. We're not messing around. We've got the cast. Take it away. All right, all right. So I'd like to introduce you to... 
the uh, the 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 ladies who started is is it is that am I getting it right? Who started yes, the correct. the production company? Correct. All right. So why don't you let our listeners know who you are? Introduce yourselves. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Alicia Washington, and I'm the founder and co-director of Good Company Theater. We are located in Ogden, Utah, beautiful Ogden. Um, it you know doesn't take a day to get up there. Please come visit us. But we actually just celebrated our 10th anniversary. Wow. So 10 years we've been holding it down in Ogden, bringing contemporary uh, theater to audiences. Yep. Hi, I am Camille Washington. I am the co-director of Good Company Theater, and we're really excited to be in our 10th year officially and to be opening this play to Saints and Stars. We're just so geeked about it. That Okay, first let's get some claps, because 10 <laughs> years doing anything is very impressive. Thank you. So before we go and start introducing the cast, I'm going to keep it on you two ladies for a little bit. So we like to do a thing around here called Origin Stories. And so, I mean, like, let's talk about it. What, what made you decide to open up a production company? Uh, sheer will. Okay. <laughs> Number All right. one. Let's talk about um, it. I, I mean, I think my family will always say I was a performer since the moment I came home. Um, and my sister asked if there was a return policy on the baby. <laughs> Still <but> looking. <laughs> Just playing. <laughs> Um, no, I really found myself in theater at a young age, um, and our mom always had us involved in different activities from um, creating posters for the science fair, and okay. they had to be done so well, because mm -hmm. presentation is everything, to um, watching Saturday Night Live and being like, how do people memorize these things, like the comedic timing, and then just being so blown away when um, our mom, Colleen Washington, um, invested in us to go see shows, and particularly like Broadway shows up at the Capitol Theater. Mm -hmm. And that was about when we were in junior high. This is Alicia. We sound the same. I know that. So I'll probably say my name a couple times. But um, thank you for that. I remember being locked in when I saw the tour, um, the national tour of Rent way back mm. in the day. I'm saying, right? And it just, it just sparked something in me where I saw myself on stage and I said, I want to start to do that. And my journey of. Um, staying in state, performing at different professional houses up here in Salt Lake, and really realizing that I wanted to be on the other side of the table, um, talking about what stories were being produced, working with my friends, working with new talent. So that's a really brief origin story. All right, all right, Camille, what about yourself? Uh, so my pathway to theater was not as direct. I obviously grew up with Alicia. We kind of did everything together. And then I went away for college. I studied art history, got my master's degree in exhibition and museum studies, was on like a pathway to becoming a visual arts curator, very invested in contemporary art. And I was moving around doing all that. And then the recession happened. And so I moved home. I had a fellowship. It ended. I moved home. And right at that same time, Alicia's like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a theater company. And I was like, well, let's write some grants. And yeah. that's how it happened. I love <laughs> and it. And that was 10 years ago. <laughs> I think so, that's yeah. really our division of labor is she's very much so on the arts administrative side. Right. And I'm very much so where I can I can get the people I can produce, I can direct, I can find the, the, the puzzle that is putting the show together itself. So we balance each other extremely well. I like it. All right, so puzzle. Let's talk about it. We have a lot of people in the studio Lots with y'all. All right, so so who is everybody? If y'all wanna, let's start getting some people. We got name tags. All right. Names and roles. 
All right, Taylor. Taylor and Alex, let's get over here to the mic. Hi, I'm Taylor. Uh, I am the stage manager for this production. It's been great. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alex Smith. I play the character Ken Roberts. Hi, my name is Cassandra Torres, and I am playing the role of Sofia Elena Lopez Wilson. <laughs> there we go. Let's go. Um, I'm Chelsea Yurkovitz, and I'm also an actress in the production, and I play the character of Zoe Cardenas. Hi, my name is Alvaro, and I play John the Pastor for the show. Thank you. And I'm Andra Harbold, and I'm the director. I love it. I love it. All right. So the play is To Saints and Stars. I, I watched a little bit of a clip of the play. Obviously, it's not your play because it hasn't started yet. But uh, why don't we tell our, our listeners a little bit about it? Who wants to? We got the mic. All right, let's get the director on here. <laughs> Great. Alexandra, why don't you tell us a little about this play? So To Saints and Stars is in a near future, hopefully not too near, um, but it's a really about, it focuses on the friendship of two women uh, and their, their partners in life and work and basically is the intersection of faith and science and it's a really active wrestling with differing points of view uh, when you're on the edge of a crisis and um, and I, I think it has a lot of wonder in it. I mean, I keep thinking about this play. It, ha it, it deals with climate change and being in a state of climate crisis, but it really talks about faith, what we're doing to make the world better or to deal with the problem. And uh, what drew me to it is the relationships mm -hmm. uh, in the play. All right, so so you said a couple things that I want to I want to pull out of that. You said it, it's it's hopefully not for the too distant future. But I'm a I'm a disagree because there's some talks about going certain places. Yeah. And and when you talk about the the science and faith, it feels very Utah. Yes. Yeah. It it the faith in the play is Greek Orthodox, mm -hmm. but it it feels so relevant to our conversation here. Um, and probably the differing points of view of Absolutely. what are we clinging to, to for hope and for perspective. Um, yeah, and yes, the distant future. It features um, a potential launch to Mars. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, and the need to go to Mars because of what we've done to Earth. We've destroyed it. And I feel like, you know, I'm looking at my watch and, I it, know, and the clock is I know, ticking. I know. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to open this up to, to the Washington sisters. So what goes into finding the right play? Because this one screams Utah, at least for me, when I was watching the blurb. That's interesting. Um, we, um, I typically read a bunch of plays. I mean, find me on a sat catch me on a Saturday night. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> um, uh, but as particularly during the pandemic, I just could, when we were dark, um, I could not absorb enough new works or just works in general. And I was just throwing scripts at Camille that I'm like, once we're back, I want to produce this. And there was something like Andra said, the relationships in this show and the exploration between these two women and their um, partners, whether professionally or romantically, and how they their stories weave together just stood out to me. Um, and how they really trust each other, even though they're dealing with things in their respective professions. And I think that's something that a lot of people gra grapple with, a lot of women and femmes as well in their professions. And it just really stuck with me. 
And so Alicia throws scripts at me and I dodge them a lot. Um, <laughs> but I also catch some of them and they um, stick. Uh, and this one really did that uh, for a number of reasons, like Alicia said, just story-wise, narrative-wise, but also I'm a pragmatist and I think about feasibility. Mm -hmm. And so a really small, tight ensemble with um, really interesting ways of exploring time and space on stage and so I thought that would be just a perfect fit for us. We have a small storefront theater, small-ish. It's about 3,000 square feet. But um, yeah, it seats 70 people. So we're always trying to think of the best way to engage an audience and to keep the action suited for what we do. Nothing too big, mm -hmm. right? Or nothing too small. So this one felt, it was a Goldilocks. It was just right. I love, oh, okay. Uh, so I'm looking at this cast and we have a diverse group of people. Was that by design? Is that is that what the play called for? Is that what you chose to make the play? Uh, that's what the play, um, it's written by uh, Jordan Ramirez Puckett. Um, it called for. Um, she had, um, the playwright has a very, very specific um, character descriptions um, that we adhere to. And then also, I just think Camille and I, um, we, we listen to characters differently in plays. Um, and when we're researching plays to do just because of our background and our lived experience, um, and also wanting to reflect, um, like I said earlier, just the stories, more stories being told on stage through different perspectives and different peoples. Get it, okay. So looking at this cast feels like having spent time up in O-Town, it feels indicative of Ogden. And, and I love it. What's the response like up there? Because 10 years, having a, having a production company in Ogden for 10 years feels for serious. And so I'm just going to say, like how I, I, it feels like you have plenty of support in the city, but, but am I just making that up because I'm looking at the number or what? Uh, I, think, I think, yes, Ogden supports, but also everyone but Alicia and I in this, in this production uh, lives in Salt Lake. There has been support f across the Wasatch Front mm -hmm. for Good Company Theater. And I don't think that contemporary plays, which is what we mostly focus on, could exist just in isolation, just in one small town or one small city or just Ogden. So we have a lot of support across the Wasatch Front. Um, and then just like, yeah, Ogden, Ogden's with it, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Ogden takes, uh, Ogden, the audiences in Ogden are just so receptive and really open. And it's been really nice to build uh, an audience base that will go with us these places. I love that. All right, let's bring some of these cast members in here. So, y'all, we got four mics in here. So why why this play and why why now? What, what spoke to y'all about this play? Cassandra? Oh, oh, Chelsea, go ahead. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't want to steal the mic from anybody. Um, so I, I'm really glad to be a part of this play. Um, so I actually um, worked in film for eight years. I traveled around the country and did a lot of that. Um, I was actually the lead in a couple of different films that reached number one on Amazon. So I was very okay. much like in the film world and stuff. But um, I've just like had a lot of changes in my life over the past like couple of years and film was just very, very demanding and I wasn't really happy doing that. 
And so I wanted um, a change, but I still love acting and I wanted to do something like performing related and stuff. And so, um, but I wanted something that was like more stable and like, you know, less hours and like inside, you know, <laughs> not not out in the woods with fake blood on. Um, and so um, I was like, I would really like to do professional theater. Um, and so I actually like, um, I tried out for a lot of professional shows for like a year and people were very put off by my like, entirety of like the film resume because it is a very different world they were scared um, of you is what i'm hearing yeah <laughs> yeah they're scared of the fake blood just kidding um so but yeah i like i just kept trying out and i'm like yeah i'm gonna do this like at some point um and uh i kept saying to people like sometime i'm gonna like find a director who like wins you know because like they get like i'm just like these people like aren't casting me and one day like somebody's gonna win me <laughs> and um, then Andra finally won so good job Andra. <laughs> Congratulations Andra. Um, yeah so yeah I'm really excited to be a part of it and also um, incredible company. getting into um, theater I kind of like expected even though I had been the leads in the films I expected to like start out like in the ensemble and kind of work my way up and then to be given like a lead the first time and I get to like originate the role we all get to originate these roles because it's like the first time it's been performed mm -hmm. is like a lot of pressure but it's like really really great and um, um, yeah like these actors are like so good and so I'm really lucky to be able to like work with everybody all right all right Cassandra you look like you wanted to grab the mic <laughs> did I? yeah oh yeah you, you did <laughs> um, hi Cassandra here I um we don't have enough time in the day to tell you how many ways I identify with this script, um, not only with my role, but with other roles in it, um, and how much I've learned reading it and then realizing how much of the text is not fiction, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in terrifying ways and in great ones. I've learned so much, and I am from Ogden, I'm a former Ogden dweller, All right, I was there for several years. and. Though I've left and live in the Salt Lake Valley now, it felt important to me to benefit Ogden Theater how I could, if that's just me being present, right. however that looks. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important text, and the cast is phenomenal, and I, it's very timely, and it was definitely the next decision. And it is your next decision to come see it. All right. <laughs> there we go. All right, Alex, what about yourself? Um, Kind of like what uh, Cassie said, like, it would take, I don't think there's as much hours in the day to express, like, how much this play, like, in, means to me. But what I will say, I think, not only in the text, but also, like, in the way that we've been kind of constructing it, I think the play, how do I articulate this? I think the play um, really is about people reaching for each other mm. and people trying to in extraordinary circumstances, the best way to care for each other. And that is kind of not only expressed in the text, but in the ways in which, like, I think, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I feel very taken care of by this cast, you know, and I and I hope that I'm taking care of everybody else too. And I think that in terms of like, the larger themes of like climate change and faith and science, I think the play gets to the heart of how we get through all of these challenges is, through reaching for each other and caring for each other. And that's why I think this play is very important and why it's relevant now. I love it. All right. So before I let y'all go, socials, where can people find you? Why should they come? And when? when's the play? Uh, you can find us on um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can go to Good Co Theater. 
That's T-R-E at the end. Um, GoodCoTheater.com, or you can Google us. Um, tickets are available online through our website. The show runs November 3rd through the 20th. We play on Fridays through Sundays. Excellent. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so Get much on for front runner going up to Oh Oh, yeah. You know, we're right across know. the street from the front runner station. At oh, Oxford. that's even, <laughs> even, better. even better. You hear that, y'all? Take the train up. Get out there and enjoy yourselves in O-Town. Thanks so much, everybody coming down. Big cast, and we got thank you all in you. one room. Yay. So thank you. Thank you. We still have to talk. Yeah, we do. Voting. We yes, have to talk fair, redistricting, and I, I, I uh, thought Stars Align from Belly might do it for us to Ooh, get us there. All right, well, let's go. Stars Align from Belly on KRCL. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Love Promise a partnership with local nonprofit organizations to support and strengthen our community. Now accepting applications for 2023 nonprofit partnerships. More information on Mark Miller Subaru's love promise and application process at markmillersubaru.com. I'm Rashawn Leak, and you're listening to Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive. And now we got, I, I'm excited for this yeah. one, Laura. Are you? Yeah. I, okay. I, I mean, I've been talking to people about the ridiculousness that is these new uh, borders, if you will. <laughs> and I'm fed up. I'm fed And I, I'm glad to see that. You're talking about voting I'll district about boundaries, voting. right? Yeah, I'm, voting, I'm talking about like voting district. I talk about them as borders, though. That's interesting. Yeah. It's an but interesting it, it's, twist. So, so let's just get to it. Okay. Let's get to it. There's some news. There is some news. So, there was a lawsuit filed, right? Yes, over, there was. Uh, Proposition 4 is what it originally was, where the public voted, we want fair redistricting. Yep. We want an independent redistricting commission. Legislature basically ignored what all uh, the maps that came out they of that teased process. Us. They, they, they teased did. And us. the legislature, the way the state constitution is written, they're like, no, it's, this is our job. And so then a lawsuit was filed, and then the legislature is like, no, that should they don't have any standing. And so today, I think it was. Yep. Or, oh, or, yeah, the or 24th, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Okay. There was a ruling, and our guests are here to talk about it all right so we have kathy beely from league of women voters and, and laura, laura lewis ae AE, uh, mormon women for ethical government hi hello hello <laughs> ladies how are you we are great, great. how are you? you i'm doing well it's a pleasure to have you on the show uh so well so tell us what happened yeah, what, don't what, leave us hanging yeah what's the good news that we are what, what's part of the good news that we're starting to celebrate just one well, step of celebration it is just one step the the judge uh Thank you. The judge uh, decided that the, our case can go forward. So this is a trial that we have, uh, that we're trying to get going forward. Um, the judge said, yes, we have standing. Um, she has gone through several of the counts and said that she does want to look at why the legislature decided to throw out the independent commission's maps instead of their own. We frankly were stunned when that happened, and that's why we filed the lawsuit. So let's, let's talk about it. How many, how many maps are we talking about that were thrown out? Well, <laughs> we, are, we are actually suing only on the congressional okay. maps. So there are four congressional districts in Utah. We are suing only on that because Frankly, that's a little easier for people to understand. There, if you go down to the um, local level, there are just too many mm -hmm. districts. Um, the, the people of Utah voted in favor of an independent commission 
to do redistricting. That commission actually came up with three maps for every single district, and they gave those to the legislature. We thought, well, surely they will accept one of those three from every district. They didn't even look at them. They went into private conversations, came out with their very own maps. We had never seen them. The public had never seen them. And so that is why we're suing. All right, Kathy, let's bring you, or Catherine, uh, let's bring you into the conversation. Laura. Laura. Oh, I'm sorry, Laura. Yeah, that's all right. Let's bring you into the conversation. Okay. It's, you know, we always want to talk about checks and balances. I'm, I don't want to go out on a limb, but it feels like that does not exist in this process. Right, and that's that's exactly why um, Utahns showed their values. Over a, a half a million Utahns voted in favor of Proposition 4 because Utah values clear and transparent and accountable government. And uh, what the legislature has shown by gerrymandering maps is that they are under, undermining the will of the people and, um, and undermine the... Uh, value that voters get to pick their politicians, not the other way around. And that's really the crux of the issue here. And so by um, joining this lawsuit and with this recent ruling, it really sets us on a good path to be able to go to go to court to be able to argue our case that the legislature has gerrymandered their maps um, and that they have undermined the will of the voters and that they have instead put forth maps in their own self-interest. Mm, mm. So legal women voters, Mormon women for ethical government, taking on the duly elected people's representatives. Yeah, and it's all about fair and uh, equal access to the ballot, right? And you got your got your ballot in the mail? I got my ballot okay. in the mail. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, one of the things that I think lawmakers have, correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine and Laura, was that um, they wanted to wait and see what happened with this North Carolina case that's gone before the Supreme Court. And the judge is like, no, nope, we're going to go ahead. And I, I, I'm really appreciative of that, however it turns out, that, no, we're not going to wait and see if this is peremptory. We're going to proceed with our own process in our own state, states' rights. Mm -hmm. um, and, and are you pleased about that? Well, of course I am. Uh, you're talking about different constitutions. Yes, here. we are, but they still uh, are trying to use it. Moore versus Harper is a U.S. Constitution issue, mm -hmm. and it is, frankly, a fringe issue. I mean, it, it's if it were... To be, to be accepted, that would mean that every state legislature would have uh, total control over what they do and no checks and balances. We, of course, believe in checks and balances. We believe that the courts should come in and tell you if you're doing something wrong. Um, at any rate, we don't want to talk about yeah. Moore versus Harper. <laughs> I, was I was mucking we up the works. We want to talk about the Utah Constitution, <laughs> and well, that is where and Laura can talk a little bit about that. She's sure. going to tell you what the Utah Constitution says. Let's hear it. Right. So the Utah State Constitution says all political power is inherent in the people and all Free and have free government, are, all free governments are founded on their authority for that equal protection and benefit, and they have the right to alter or reform their government as the public welfare may require. And so what we have in this case is that Utahns have voted in favor of what we feel is important reform for our government, uh, proper checks and balances, proper uh, transparency and accountability. And this is in our state constitution. We have that constitutional right um, to be able to reform our government. 
All right. There was a sentence I wanted to ask you about, though, Kathy, in the league statement on Judge Diana Gibson's ruling on the motion to dismiss from Utah lawmakers. And that was that the league looks forward to reviewing the judge's reasoning for dismissing our claim, challenging the, challenging the repeal of Proposition 4. Yeah. So she didn't go along with that. <laughs> so you're yeah. looking at that and you may <clears throat> challenge? Well, she, she dismissed that. Mm-hmm. And we are, we're saddened because we think that is important. The people of Utah voted for Proposition 4. Mm-hmm. And the legislature just, we believe they repealed it. Mm-hmm. They say, oh no, we just changed it a little we bit. And, it. Yeah, and it's, it's now all That's good. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> I will say she has not issued her complete ruling. Mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to reading that and finding out her reasoning behind it. I will say from the league's standpoint, we will not give up on citizen initiatives. We've done them in the past, we will do them in the future, so this is not the end. Well, and lawmakers have made it increasingly more difficult, a higher bar, to get a, a citizen's initiative on the ballot. So it's, I was discouraged when it was repealed. I, I think there's a lot of changed. people that are discouraged. So, so I guess the question begs, what is success, when this is all said and done, what does success look like? Is it is it new mapping or, or is it more than that? Well, that will be up to the courts. I think Laura might have an idea about that, but we don't know. I mean, that is up to the trial. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what they say. We had thought maybe it would be returning us to Proposition 4 and to the maps that uh, the commission had created. But apparently that's not going to be it. We may have to mm-hmm. go through the whole... Uh, process a ballot again. initiative again to say well no no yeah. we want what we said we wanted we already voted on this yeah. like we, yeah. yeah but lawmakers under the state constitution have the right to uh put forth bills to tweak bills etc and that's like the get out of jail free card is. is that that is right <laughs> there is a there is an appeals process but i think uh the main thing uh that we are just thrilled that we are that because of diane gibson's ruling that we are able to have our day in court, we are able to um, to show the gen- gerrymandering and fight for fair maps and fair districting, which is what Utahns have been wanting for years. So what is the timeline now? What's up next in court? Anybody know yet? Are you waiting to she figure out scheduling? She hasn't given us a okay. date of the trial yet. Yeah. So but that's it, the next thing. Yeah, I can't wait. To trial. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so for all the voters out there listening and who kind of want to take action, what do they do? What, what do we do as, as voters? Well, we would like them to help uh, fund the trial. Uh, you can go to Better Boundaries, and they are, they're the ones who are helping us fund this. But I will say that our attorneys are being very kind. Our Utah attorneys are doing this low bono, which means mm-hmm. like a third of the cost. Yeah. And we have national attorneys with the Campaign Legal Center who are doing this pro bono for us. Additionally, um, it's a great, with election season on us, this is a great opportunity to talk to your friends and neighbors about why fair maps and fair districting is important because this is is something that we are going to be, that could be a long haul right um in court and so this is something we need to be talking about this is something we need to be educated on a lot of uh, utahns don't don't understand how much 
redistricting impacts them. It impacts how, um, if they have fair representation, who represents them, how re resources are distributed back to their communities. This has really large impact. And so being able to talk about with friends, neighbors, share the word is um, huge. So what's the website for Mormon Women for Ethical Government? Um, yeah, so you could follow um, Mormon WEG, Mormon WEG on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can also go to uh, mormonwomenforethicalgovernment.org, um, Better Boundaries, uh, like Kathy mentioned, is another great resource as well. You can sign up for their newsletter where they'll, where they'll give you updates on the case as it goes forward. Laura, you, you did, uh, Which you Laura? mentioned that you should talk. <laughs> I know. I'm, like... I'm sorry. You should talk to, to more people. MWAG is having some small group cottage meetings. Yes. That is one way you could get involved. Mm -hmm. Go to these cottage meetings, find out more about the whole Okay. process. Yeah, and on our website, you can also learn about um, additional ways. Writing a letter to your editor, uh, Mormon Women for Ethical Government has an op-ed lab where you can get help on um, editing any letters to the editor, op-eds that you want to submit to your local papers, um, attending the cottage meeting like Kathy mentioned. Also, uh, we have voter preparation parties where you can get together with your neighbors. This is a completely nonpartisan issue. Everybody should be concerned mm -hmm. about it, Absolutely. and we just need to be talking about it. It's a We yeah. are seeking a politically neutral outcome. We just want fair representation. And what's the website for League of Women Voters? Do you have anything else you want to shout out while you're here? Uh, oh, lwvutah.org. And yes, Vote 411, our voter's guide for the elections. Please do take a look. Find out what's on your ballot before you fill it out. We will put those links in the show notes. And I'm looking at the clock, and we're going to jump straight into some nature swagger here. I think we here. are. I think so, we are. So uh, thank you so much for coming in. And remember, folks, if you don't know where your ballot is, get on vote.utah.gov and figure it out. Call your county clerk. There's 29 county clerks. And they will help you figure it out. Plus, you do have the right to vote on Election Day. Take your uh, ID with you if you uh, want to do it that way. So uh, Nature Swagger is a new book out from RUMAP. And Rue is going to be in town in January for Outdoor Retailers. Stick around. We're we'll definitely going to have to get her on. Yeah, I was able to Zoom with Rue. I think, was it just, was it, it was this like morning? This morning, yeah. It was, <laughs> it, no, it was, it was yesterday morning. morning. It was yesterday right, morning. It's a blur. It's a blur. And uh, we want to share this conversation with you and get into um, the outdoors and why outdoor Afro is so crucial for um, diversity's sake in the outdoors. Let's roll that tape, shall we? Let's go. Well, let's just jump into nature swagger. I want to get to the origin of all this, and I think it um, gets to your origin story. Uh, I loved reading the book. I, I love the way it's organized. I feel like I can jump in or read right through and just oh. grab stories and pictures. But so let's start with yours um, and the ranch that your family had and how that really instilled in you a love of the outdoors. Yeah, I mean, I was so fortunate to, you know, spend most of my time in Oakland, California. I was raised in the Oakland Hills, and my parents, who migrated from the South, both Texas and Louisiana, they had just valued their connection to the outdoors so much that they invested in purchasing ranch land, basically a hobby farm up in Northern California. And it was 14 acres when I was little. And it was really this incredible platform for not only discovery and connecting to the outdoors in so many different ways. I mean, we had cows and we had pigs and there was a horse at one time. And my dad was an avid hunter and fisherman. And 
it was, you know, this place where a lot was going on with nature in a very lived experience. And what was also special about it was this value of welcoming and hospitality. So like my, like, it didn't matter who you were, if you called in advance, if you didn't have like, you know, two nickels to rub together, you were still welcome in the same way as like anybody to come and visit, eat, stay, play. And I had this front row seat to what wonder could look like, you know, like what like adult wonder, like people would remark about the air and how fresh it was or the stars that they could see at night that they couldn't see back home in Oakland in a light polluted city. So there was this hospitality and wonder and, and the refresh that people were able to have. And, you know, that hospitality and that desire to bring community together for their reset, these are the things that sit at the heart of not only this book, but the work of Outdoor Afro. And so I kind of feel like we're having this pop-up family reunion experience through the organization's work. And it's, you know, my parents have long passed away. And for me personally, it's been a way of keeping their memory and their value and everything they taught me about being in the outdoors as strong, beautiful, and free alive uh, through a network and also helping our network of participants remember that those family histories exist in so many more people than my family, where there was that ease and connection to nature and everyday life. And that's really what the title Nature Swagger is all about. Well, the journey to Outdoor Afro in 2009, it takes a, a, a path through tech and also yep. spaces um, where you tried to marry your different passions and were often the only person of color in an outdoor yeah. space. And so yeah. take us to that starting of Outdoor Afro and um, what prompted it and the experiences you had. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the one of the most matter of fact moments. It's one of those moments where what you need to be doing, you realize is hiding in plain sight. And I'd been connecting with the outdoors beyond my family's ranch as a Girl Scout. I got really involved with like, computer programming at 11 years old, living in the Bay Area. We were, you know, some of the first classrooms to have a computer in the classroom. And so I was very comfortable using digital technology from a young age and even went so far as to like get involved with those early World Wide Web Usenet groups and, and chat rooms around outdoor pursuits. I found groups to connect with using digital platforms, websites, et cetera. And I show up in these experiences and I, especially for, you know, far away from home. And I would be like the only black person and of course, black woman. And, you know, it was, it was sometimes a bit awkward. Uh, sometimes there were assumptions made about my preparation or my physical abilities that were not true because, you know, I wasn't adequately informed sometimes about like what this trip's going to be about, what kind of gear and equipment you need. And even though I grew up in an outdoor loving family, we're not mountaineers. <laughs> you know, we were not like, you know, we, we weren't, you know, packing in and packing out, you know? And so I just, there was a lot that I just didn't even know about some of those 
you know, beyond city limits outdoor experiences, but I continued to pursue them. I got married, I had three kids and we, you know, we camped and we did bike rides of our own. And I had gotten so much from years of outdoor experiences, times when even when it wasn't perfect, it still allowed me to dig deeper and discover strengths that I didn't realize that I had or would be even seen in day-to-day life. You know, when I mountaineered for the first time and got my whole body up with the strength of my arms and legs up to a summit, like that, that, that moment of knowing like you have what you need inside of you to pull yourself out of things, to, even if you don't, if you're not sure, if even if you don't know where you are, like those kinds of lessons, that, those are life affirming, giving, strengthening lessons. And I just knew if my life was, was enhanced through my connection to nature, how might it be that more people could could find their way into this conversation if they didn't feel like they had an easy pathway. So I sat down, you know, with this this wonderful mentor I had at the time, and she's like, "Hey, if time and money were not an issue, what would you be doing?" And like literally, I opened my mouth and my life and my dreams just fell out. I was like, "I would probably start a website to reconnect black people to the outdoors." And it was just like a moment of like awkward, quiet, like where'd that come from? <laughs> and, then, and then it was like the light bulb came on and it never went out. And that conversation turned into, you know, me actually two weeks later, just getting a like a template blog and just started writing about growing up in the outdoors, all the things I loved about connecting to nature as, as a woman, but also as a mom and that was really at the beginning, like the precipice of social media as we know it. And so I was able to leverage social to have this conversation from my kitchen table about what it was I loved about the outdoors. And guess what? People reflected back to me, their own stories, their own images, their own visuals. And I was just like, clear. I was like, oh, this is not about what black people don't do. This is about a visual representation problem. This is about how we can perhaps change the narrative around who gets outside, but importantly, who is empowered and leads outside. And, you know, it wasn't until a few years later that I actually experimented with creating a group of leaders just in community where folks could get outside right in their own backyards. And that was, you know, like 12 people back in 2012. And since then we have continued to grow and evolve that group. And this year's class is nearly 120 men and women from all over the United States who are getting people to hike and bike and camp. And you, if you can think of, think of it, we've done it in the outdoors. And that participation network who they touch has now grown to around 60,000 people. So there's this constant feedback loop happening with Outdoor Afro of people doing things and us amplifying those experiences as an organization. And I'm really proud that, you know, now we're almost, you know, 13 years in and we have seen a shift in the visual representation. We are seeing so many different versions of being outside across geographies, abilities, genders, 
and more importantly, you know, related to outdoor Afro, we're seeing black people of, of all kinds getting out and creating their nature story and sharing it with the world. Including here in Utah, you have several uh, network nodes, shall we say, because you don't call them mm-hmm. chapters. And uh, we've had them on the show before talking about what they do and inviting people. And is outdoor Afro just for black folks or is it a way to create bridges in the community through the outdoor experience, but centered around black leadership? Yeah, I love that question um, because I think that it's easy to go there like, oh, this must be like an exclusive experience, but really Outdoor Afro is this compelling invitation. And I'm a big fan of affinity groups. Like when I was a girl and I was a Girl Scout, that was what really got me super clear about the power of being in networks or groups where you have a strong connection around whatever the identity is. And as a Girl Scout, it was so empowering to be in this group of girls and learning about leadership and being outside together. And, you know, I mean, and as I grew up and had kids, you know, I found like the moms group, the Bay Area moms group, you know, and so like affinity groups are really important to strengthen community and to help people feel confident. And I always say though, I mean, you don't have to have an Afro to be a part of Outdoor Afro. And <laughs> that's the thing I really appreciate about what we do. It's it's so specific in its purpose and in its you know focused audience, but it's non-exclusive. And you know, and, you, and the people who are on our board, people who support our work, the people who are on staff, like look like the United Nations. Yeah. Um, and so everybody gets that specificity and wants to be a part of supporting it in whatever way they can. And and we, we really do appreciate that. Well, I wanted to understand a bit more about the history of the outdoors and black participation. And you were talking about representation, but um, let's go back to a little bit in history and talk about that invitation uh, yeah, decades yeah, and mean, decades ago. I mean, let's, you know, from, from slavery to 2022, the black experience in the outdoors is fraught with injustice and exclusion. Well, you know, and I'm gonna push back on that okay. because I think that's the story we're told. It's like, it's, the, it's slavery and then it's like, you know, uh, lynchings like that's my apologies you know, for reinforcing that narrative no 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 I mean it's not you it's yeah. just what it's it's kind of like that's the dominant story out there well there's a huge but history I, of black cowboys in the west that well, is little known yeah. yeah it's not only that but I'll go I'll go a step further it was during the height of Jim Crow I mean we're talking people who were excluded from pools um of course you know we know about the water fountains but there was significant exclusion from public spaces in nature there were beaches that black people couldn't go to there were all kinds of recreational sites there were sundown towns uh it was also at the time uh the 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 green book was popular as a way for people to reference where they could actually stop and be served you know, from dining establishments to where you could sleep overnight. It was during that time that Black people cared so much about the outdoors that they created their own Black oases. There are places like Lake Ivanhoe, Lincoln Hills, uh, Martha's Vineyard's uh, Inkwell. There were places 
what I call places of purpose in the book, where people found their refuge and their justice and their joy in the outdoors. They pursued that and created these places not only to go and recreate, but they were places that had the black innkeepers, outfitters, guides, people who are early contributors to the outdoor industry as we know it. And out and so the work I do and the work that that Nature Swagger celebrates really stands on the shoulders of that persistence, just like my father. He he was persistent in valuing and creating these places where we could truly enjoy and, and find freedom and rest in the outdoors. And that's the story that we don't talk about. And I was very deliberate in wanting to tell that story and affirm that story versus center the black story in the outdoors in pain and peril, because that's not entirely true. And thus the title of your book, Nature Swagger, Stories and Visions of Black Joy in the Outdoors. So building on those spaces that folks created in out of the Jim Crow South, um, take us though to what you hope Outdoor Afro does for all black folk, for everyone and getting outdoors in the national parks, which are everyone's resource. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, it's about a rush to the ordinary. You know, like I think a lot about how attitudes and behaviors change. I'm a Gen Xer, born in 1971. Y'all do the math. Um, and, you know, there was a time when I was little, like everybody was smoking cigarettes, like everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like you could smoke like on the plane, you could smoke in a restaurant, you could smoke everywhere, okay? Around kids, windows rolled up in cars, nobody cared. And then like, there was there was there was a series of, of, of things that happened, you know, uh, public health uh, awareness around the dangers of tobacco became became more well known. Um, there were organizations, there were individual champions, there was public relations, there was policy, and what happened over the course of a generation is this moment where you just you know knew like it wasn't okay and it wasn't okay to do it in certain places. And we all just you know, lived our lives as if. And so Outdoor Afro is similar in the way that we see ourselves as one part of the many levers and pulleys that will actually move us to a place of ordinary. You know, that moment you look up and you see black people and anyone really outside recreating, loving on their natural world, our public lands, you know, and it's no big deal. So that's, I mean, that's the goalpost. It's not going to be, you know, a parade down Main Street or, you know, a cover on a popular magazine. No, it's going to be that quiet moment where you're like, yeah, this is, this is the America that I'm a part of. And I see it and I see it everywhere I go and I see it in nature. You're doing such big work, but I'm curious about your quiet moments. And if you'd share one of your favorite places with us and paint a picture for us. Yeah, my quiet moment of peace and reflection, I'll always, always think of the redwoods and the redwoods that the Semperfirens redwoods in Northern California, where I live, you know, are some of the tallest trees you'll find. And they're 
you know, where they live is really unique uh, to these foggy places in California. And where I live in Oakland, the redwoods covered the hilly landscape at one time, you know, growing, you know, as, as wide as, you know, 20 feet, you know, at their base. And those trees were clear cut uh, with the demand for wood and housing material brought on by the gold rush around 1850. But you know what? Those trees are back. Those stands have returned. And when I go to those majestic redwoods towering over me, they remind me of resilience and what it means to come back. And I think about that and in our communities sometimes that experience that clear cut feeling, that displaced feeling, or that feeling you could have in your regular life, you know, through a major life event, the death of someone, the divorce or, or career, you know, change. It's like something gets clear cut. And these, these redwoods remind me of the possibility of regeneration. And the thing about the redwoods is that under the surface, it, under, you know, our feet, is a network of roots that are all knit together between them and how knitting together at our root is what helps us grow tall and strong and resilient uh, to the whims of weather and, and how we can be, how, how we can be as a community, how we can knit together and be stronger this way and resilient. That reminds me of one of the profiles in Nature Swagger, Wild Healing, Ray Wynn Grant, and uh, just a, 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 an example of what is found in the book. Besides your uh, story and journey, you're really passing, as we say here on radio, the microphone to other people to create that representation that you wanted Outdoor Afro to be in the first place. Absolutely. And I, it was the book I really wanted to write. Like, I didn't want to write a book about like, you know, how to get more people outside or, um, or a personal memoir. I really felt like with all of the time that I had spent with developing outdoor Afro, I'd met really incredible people. And, and, and I didn't want the event or the book to be about, you know, special events or, you know, people who are famous. I really wanted someone, no matter where they were in literacy, to be able to open that book and see someone that they could really connect with. Oh my gosh, it looks like my cousin. Oh, that looks like my aunt. Oh, he's cute. Oh, that looks like, I mean, you know, I really wanted like people to, to open that book and, and see people that they could really connect with and who would give us a slice of how nature was a true and a conscious operator in their life's joy journey, but also toward their healing. Well, your book comes out November 1st, and we will put links in the show notes so folks can check it out. But you're going to be in town, I understand, for the next Outdoor Retailer Show in January, and I'd love to invite you to come down to the show. I would love that. I love. I, first of all, y'all have to know, I love, love, love Salt Lake City, um, and uh, it's, I'll, it's always be special to me because it's where you know, my, my work really matured through connections in the outdoor industry 
who've been so good to me and supportive over many years. So I'm very much looking forward to coming and connecting with the local outdoor Afro network and definitely, you know, helping to tell a new narrative in, in a new platform. And that is Rue Map, the founder and CEO of Outdoor Afro and author of the book Nature Swagger, Stories and Visions of Black Joy in the Outdoors, coming out on November 1st. Oh, that was that was a good interview, Laura. Oh, thank you. That was a good interview. The that book, was fun. I really enjoyed the book. Here's your your chance. Now I'm passing it along to you. I don't pass the book, if, but, as yeah, we say. You're, you're outdoors. Oh, yeah, I am. She's, Black man in the outdoors. She's and, telling our story. Yeah. She's telling our, you know, it's especially, I, you know, I find myself in a lot of these spaces that she's talking mm-hmm. about. You know, it's somebody who you know went to college and ran cross country you know you just don't see a lot of that so your your cycle or you know out there riding centuries and things like that so it's it's nice to it's nice to you know read stories that that i i find myself in if you will not just slavery and lynching it's <laughs> yeah like not, the- <laughs> it's not just the, you know the black journey is not just slavery and lynching yeah but um, I'm really excited, too, to put something together when she is here in Utah mm-hmm. in January. And, you know, you went to the, the big gear show. That's right. We got, so. I mean, you know, and, and that's, that'd be fun. It's like, you know, between the Black Bold and Brilliant crew and then Outdoor mm-hmm. Afro, it's it's good. It would be a great mashup to figure yeah. out how we get. And then the Radioactive and crew, radioactive and we crew. can this... all meet up at some cool place downtown and hang out. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, right. and you know I'm trying to get tickets yeah. to Outdoor Retailer, so there's that. <laughs> I think we've just made you our official uh, correspondent. There we for go. Outdoor let's let's go. Work? I think, can, oh, yeah, that works. You take the battle wagon and You know, it's there. hungry. It's hungry, Laura. Uh, well, in the few minutes we have here to wrap up the show, tomorrow is uh, Public Music Radio Day. Okay. So tune in for some special conversations about that. And you can also check it out on our website. Folks are doing some Halloween shows. Oh, yeah. Connor. Connor's got a late night lowdown. He's got a, a, a spooky, spooky. little spooky set list <laughs> he's going to be playing all waxed out. Yeah, and I understand on Saturday, World Village is going to do a Halloween show, and yes. we talked about it earlier with Shell, but uh, Eric P. Nelson is going to do the uh, the afternoon show, as he's done on many a Halloween, and do uh, a funky and uh, funny he, Halloween show. Probably for, some comedians. He'll yeah, find, I'm sure. He'll find some spooky comedians I'm sure. Up there. And then Shell, yeah, and Eric are taking over Radioactive on Monday, Halloween as well, with a recap of their trip to Utah's spookiest ranch. ranch. Did, you, did they tell you a little bit about that? Yeah, I got Shell. Uh, Shell brought me up to speed, so she uh, she let me know. Peek? Yeah, she let me know what was going on. They yeah. let me know what's going on. So I'm really excited to hear yeah. about, about their stories. Well, that's our show. Get some ideas for some other ones coming up. What do you want to talk about in the months and weeks ahead? Weeks uh, and months. I don't know. I mean, we got, you know, MLK going up. We we got, that's in January. We have Indigenous Month next month. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got, there's a, there's a lot to talk about, you know. Okay. You know, wrap that on the on the guise of finger quoting Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so there's a lot to talk about. Well folks, you can email radioactive at krcl.org with your ideas for a roundtable Tuesday edition or any other edition of Radioactive. And if you visit krcl.org, the community affairs page, click on radioactive, you can find the archives, including tonight's show. There we go. Listen, listen and love, y'all. Listen and love. Any thoughts, words of wisdom as we wrap up? It was just a good show. I, I had a lot of fun there. You know, make sure or hey, go get up to Ogden if you want. Check out that play. I saw it. It sounds like it's going to be great. I'm not even going to say good. I'm saying great. And then Nature Swagger. I'm looking at this book, you know, Stories and Vision of Black Joy. I think everybody should check it out. It's, it's definitely find it in your local libraries. There you go. 
Because, you know, reading is fundamental. Reading is KRCL. fundamental, Laura. Salt Lake City. KRCL would like to thank everyone for supporting community radio during Fall Radiothon. And thanks to The Bagel Project, The Urban Pioneer Cafe, and Not a Sideshow's Circus Brown for keeping us well-fed throughout the drive. A big thanks from the volunteers, DJs, and staff here at 90.9 FM KRCL. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.